Bibles tonight to the book of Zechariah, chapter number 4. Zechariah chapter 4, the longer I that I sat there and thought about the message, the more I thought, and this happens quite often, by the way, because I'll I'll spend time studying a particular subject, and I'll get to I'll get to thinking, feeling like that I just preached that a few weeks ago, and uh, in fact there have been several times that I've got on the website to look at the list uh, of messages uh, because I don't have my record book you know here with me to check and didn't didn't I preach that and usually the answer is nope <laughs> I didn't. But it wouldn't make any difference uh, this evening uh, because when I left here this morning, this is a verse I had on my heart. We went uh, went home and I sat down, and the first thing I did was to uh, open my Bible and uh, start thinking about this particular verse. Uh, I'm not going to read all of the verses that lead up to the text, which is verse 6 of chapter 4. But I'll comment on some of those in just a little bit. But here the angel of the Lord is speaking to the prophet Zechariah. Verse 6, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Whatever you do, don't ever underestimate the value of the Old Testament. And a lot of folks do. It's kind of like we don't need that anymore. And uh, I, I've never really felt comfortable just even, you know, carrying a, a New Testament. I know going on visitation years ago, uh, I've, I've done that a lot, by the way, but I always felt like, you know, uh, that I needed all of it. You know, they've got the New Testament with the Psalms. And then the Gideons has the New Testament with the Psalms and the Proverbs. That helps a little bit. But whatever you do, out of your Bible study, you cannot afford to ignore the teachings of the Old Testament. It is just as much the Word of God as any other part of the Bible. And uh, uh, it's essential to our development. The problem is, most of the time, all we hear is just a few choice quotes and it's somewhat common, for example, to hear a preacher quote this verse that I that I just read tonight, but then uh, really not to comment on it. So, uh, so tonight we're going to we're going to make a few comments, and and it's not my purpose. I'm not going to keep you long, but listen, it's not my purpose to give you a lesson in history tonight. So we're not going to try to delve into every detail concerning this story here. I just want you to see how that it applies to, to our lives, and then I'll be through. When we think about the corruption that is in our country, when we think about the condition of our churches, we're compelled, if we're honest, to conclude something is missing. Something's missing. It's not as it should be. And whenever, especially those of us that are members at Lakeway and we think how we've been blessed and what a great church that we've got. And let me tell you, in comparison to a lot of churches, you don't, believe me, you don't know what you've got uh, here. It, it, the, the Lord has indeed blessed us immensely. But 
by the same token, uh, we've, we've got to realize that we're not everything that we ought to be or everything that we could be. And I'm really convinced that, you know, we talk about something is missing. I'm convinced that that something's not some, something, it's someone. And that is the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and by that I don't mean he's absent. When I say he's missing, he, he's not absent, believe me. Uh, he is here, he's with us every hour of every day. I just simply mean that we fail to acknowledge His presence and depend upon His power. And, and, and to me that seems strange because, uh, and, and it's strange because whenever we set out to serve the Lord, boy, it doesn't take very long to realize that I've bitten off more than I can chew. We set out to serve the Lord and all of a sudden we realize that, you know, we might be willing, but we're not able. Because if you're really a Christian, there's no doubt about it, you want to please God. If you've really been born again, there's a desire in your heart to please God. You want to obey God. You want to follow God. That's implanted there in your heart. If that's not there, you need to get saved. And whenever that desire is there, it's one thing to have that desire, but it's another thing to... to, to to do what we know God would have us to do. Uh, we're not able. And so because we're not able, we have to be enabled. And uh, in other words, it has to come from an outside source. It, it can't be something that comes from us. I really had a hard time sitting there trying to think, okay, what's going to be the title of the message? You know, keeping the light bright. Power for the hour. He's talking about he's talking about a lampstand or the candlesticks, you know. And I thought, uh, but maybe strength for the struggle might be the best thing I can think of. Strength for the struggle, because this is the means whereby that we are enabled to do what God requires us to do. Now, before I give you a few main outline points to think about. Let me give you just a little bit of background. This will give you um, something to build up on and a better understanding of what's going on. Zechariah was a po what we call a post-exile prophet. That means that he prophesied after the seven years of captivity in Babylon. So that kind of shows you where he was at in the grand scheme of things. You could say he was a minor prophet with a major uh message and God has ordered Israel to to rebuild the temple the work has been delayed at this point it's been delayed several years actually if you can imagine that have the wonderful privilege of going back rebuilding the temple they go back and they get started and uh, uh, lay the foundation and something happens and they just quit so God gave Zechariah eight visions to deliver uh, to his people in order to, in, in order to get them to cooperate with the program. And here we see the vision of the candlestick. That was a lampstand. You know, it was uh, something that, of course, it uh, had the little bowls and the oil as they go through the stems and light the, the lamps. 
But the point of it is, it represents a testimony. It represents the witness of God on this earth, as God is light. And this is a, a means whereby that there, uh, within the, the temple, that it represented the presence of God there among His people. And if you keep in mind that the Jews were to be a light unto the Gentiles, all, all of these details start tying together. That was God's plan for them. The only reason they existed, by the way. When God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a blessing, the purpose behind that was, I want you as a nation to be a light to the Gentiles because I want to show the Gentiles through you what I'm able to do that they'll see their need of me and trust me. So it was out, out of concern for the Gentiles that God raised up the Israelites. And, uh, and now the work has stopped on something so important as this. Now, let's look at the details and make an application. First of all, notice there's a work to be done. This is serious business. We're talking about rebuilding the temple. That was the most important building in the entire world. Why? Because it was the Lord's building. It was the Lord's house. And, and, and because of that, it, 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 was, it was important and it's serious. And they've just given up. Let me tell you, there's never any justification for us leaving the work undone. And, and, and as Christian people, we need to realize that for each one of us, God has a plan that goes beyond just keeping you out of hell and getting you into heaven. So many times we think, you know, have you been saved? Yeah, I've been saved, and I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And that, well, that sells it. That's all there is to it. No, that's just the beginning of it. That'll be the grand conclusion, getting in heaven. Uh, but in the meanwhile, Romans 8.29, He has predestinated us that we be conformed to the image of His dear Son. But didn't He say we're to be the light in, of the world? Why? Well, what's that all about? It, it's our influence in the world that enables us to bring others to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a work to be done, and there's a work for every single one of us, a means whereby that we are to serve the Lord, and, and, and Christ has established His church. We don't go to the temple any longer, do we? We don't take our little lambs to the temple and offer them up. The Levitical priesthood, that's all, all done away with. You know, that's not necessary anymore because the true Lamb of God has come. He's made His sacrifice. And uh, the Lord, in doing away with the temple made with hands, created the church and left it here as the vehicle of the means by which His work is to be carried out. Just as that Old Testament temple was the only place on earth designated as the proper place of worship, Today, it's only in the Lord's church that, that, that you find the authority to carry out God's work. That's why earlier we were emphasizing the fact that the roll-off home down here is sponsored by uh, uh, an independent Baptist church. That, that's where every work ought to be. Amen. God didn't start the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. I respect Billy Graham, but he's wrong. He's wrong. He ought to be working directly through a church and under the authority of a church, you see. So all of us have a work 
to do, a work that needs to be done, and we are to do it through the Lord's church. Secondly, there was a weakness to overcome. It's obvious because the work has ceased, right? So there's got to be some kind of a weakness there. There's a fault. There's a failure on their part. And let me say that the failure was entirely their fault. Uh, nobody could, you know, uh, blame God and say, well, uh, you know, yeah, we tried to, we tried to build it and we just had too many problems. The Lord just wouldn't, you know, He just wouldn't bless us or wouldn't help us. It wasn't God's fault. They quit on God. He didn't quit on them. And, and the same thing's true of us. We never have any justification for saying, you know, that, uh, uh that the work ought to cease. Believe me, your efforts are going to be opposed by the world, the flesh, and the devil. From all three directions, you're going to, you're going to be tempted and tormented and, and, and Satan will do everything within his power to try to stop you from becoming the person God wants you to be. And we have no power on our own to defeat these enemies. And, and, you know, even if our spirit is willing, remember, our flesh is weak. And so there is a weakness that has to be overcome. And that's what we see in that story. That's what we see in our lives, a weakness that has to be overcome. Now notice there is a warning to heed. Notice in our text, he says, not by might nor by power. That, that's a warning, not by might or power. In other words, it's not by human effort that you're going to succeed. It's not gritting your teeth and squaring your shoulders and scotching your feet. You know, it's, it's not through your human effort. It's going to take something more than that because, you know, our self-effort is never, ever going to be enough. So this is the warning, and we need to heed this warning and understand it's not by our might nor by our power, but here's the word of instruction. He says, but. By my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. You know, I think it's, it's sad but true that um, most folks don't realize how helpless they really are. They don't realize how desperate they need God. We, we, we kind of tend to think of ourselves as being self-sufficient. And, and, and you go back, and I was talking this morning about back whenever I was a boy and the, the difference in way that people thought back then. And, and, and there were people that would not receive help from anybody for any reason. I, I mean, they could, they could be hungry, and they, they wouldn't let you give them any bread to eat. I, they, they, there's that old rugged, independent spirit that, you know, that we talk about that built America. But, you know, we got to be careful that we don't carry that too far because even though it takes that rugged individualism, that's important, it takes us working together than realizing that we need one another. Why? Because we're not sufficient of ourselves. And here we see that, that these people are brought face to face with the fact that you're not able to do what needs to be done. There is a weakness there and you are insufficient, and you need God's help. Your human effort will never be enough. A lot of churches, most churches, I think, are failing miserably, and, and yet here's the thing about it. As long as they can keep the attendance up and the offering up, they think they're successful. Really, I mean, just ask 
any pastor, and it's a common thing whenever you go away and you're in a Bible conference, missions conference, or whatever somewhere, and, and you run into the other preacher, hey, how you doing? How's the church you doing? Oh, it's doing great. Our attendance is up, you know, 10% last year. Our offering was up. And, and we just get this mindset. And, and let's face it, as long if we come every week and every seat is full here, and the offerings are always sufficient to cover all of the bills. We don't owe anybody any money. We get everything paid off and what have you. And somebody asks, how's the church doing? The first thing we think of is doing great. We, in fact, we're thinking about building on. We're going to have to build a new building because we can't get everybody in there. We're busting out the seams. We're doing great. It might be that nobody's been saved in six months, but we think in our mind we're doing great. Are we? Are we really doing great? You see, so many times we don't recognize our need of God's help in this. And let me tell you why churches fail. Churches fail because Christians fail. The church is made up of Christians. You can't expect any more out of the church than what you expect out of yourself. In the first place, it wouldn't be right. In the second place, it wouldn't even make any sense. Because the church is a body. It's made up of different members. And you, you, you can't have a church full of people that, you know, that are uh, unconcerned or, or, you know, unable or whatever it is, and then expect the church to be just the opposite of that. And uh, I think the problem is that so many of us, we know about God's work for us. You know, I talk all the time about understanding the person and work of Jesus Christ. And, and we need to do that because we've got to understand who we are and what we have as a result of the person and work of Christ. That, that, that's so very important. But a lot of times we understand the work of God for us, but not the work of God in us. Am I, are you with me? You making, am I making sense? In other words, we understand that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He came down to this sin-cursed earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He paid our sin debt. He made salvation possible. That's all God's work for us. If you want to know about God's work in us, read what Jesus said to His followers just before He ascended back to heaven. John chapter 16. He said, I'm going back to heaven. He said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going, to, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to be with you. He's going to be in you. Thank you, Lord. you see? So there is a work that God does in us as well as a work that God does for us. And whenever we fail to see our need of the Holy Spirit, and some preachers have referred to the Holy Spirit as the forgotten person of the Godhead. And, and that's kind of the way it is. It's kind of like we just, Leave him out. I don't know. Sometimes I think maybe we're afraid that if we have, a, for example, if we have a sermon and talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, somebody think, uh-oh, they're going charismatic. You know, yeah, they're becoming a Pentecostal or something. We better understand our need of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives because this, this, this matter of you and I living for God is bigger than what we're able to do on our own. Years and years ago, there was an Englishman that came over here, and uh, he came over to, he's traveling with a pastor friend and came to see the Niagara Falls. And so they're standing there, 
and uh, look, looking at the, the falls and ju- just in awe at the greatness of it. And he said, this must be the greatest unused power in the world. And there was a brief pause and the pastor then replied, he said, no. He said, the greatest unused power in the world is the Holy Spirit of the living God. Come on, let's face it. We don't even, we don't even really most of the time believe in miracles anymore. Well, at least we don't expect them. You know, sometimes we'll pray for something. We might make a statement. Boy, it'll take a miracle if this ever works out. You've been there, done that? I don't know. I guess, I, I, I guess it's down to all we can do now is pray. <laughs> Think about that, brother. All, all we can do now is pray. It's just in the hands of God. It's always been in the hands of God. And you can't do any more than pray until you've prayed. But there's so many times that we just uh, don't see the need of tapping into that power source. And, and He is within us. The best advice I could give you tonight, I think, in this regards is uh, for you to spend some time studying the book of Acts. You know, we talk about it being the Acts of the Apostles. You know, in reality, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 2 and verse 4, where it starts out, and here we are in the day of Pentecost, and oh, wow, it's so amazing what happened. You talk about a miracle. God enabled them to speak in other languages not naturally acquired. And they're spreading the news of the gospel to people that have come from all parts of the earth. And they're hearing them speak in their own native tongue. And how, do, how does that happen? I, I've got to tell you, if, if, all, if all of a sudden there wasn't anything in there but 200 people from Spanish-speaking people, all I could do is hum a tune. I, it wouldn't do me no good to speak in English, and I can't speak Spanish, so you know I'd be up a creek without a paddle. There's no no way to do that. But that's where they are. But here's here's the difference. Chapter two and verse four says of the church, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Not just the preachers, but all of them. I'm talking about the entire church. Boy, this is this is a real, true, spirit-filled church. And, and and let me tell you, it ought to be exactly the same way today. When I say the same way, I'm not talking about having another Pentecost. That happened then. That's not going to happen again. It's not supposed to happen again. That was a once-for-all deal and what have you. But here's the point is that God still has the same power today that He had back then. And He can set the captive free. He can meet our needs, whatever they might be. He's still, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I think we sometimes convince ourselves, well, we really can't expect somebody to be saved every Sunday. Why not? Why can't we expect that? We, the only reason we shouldn't expect it is if we're not willing to pray for it and to witness and to do our part on trying to reach people. You know, we could go on. I could spend another hour talking about the church's ministry and the church's need of spirit-filled Christians, but 
And let's just bring it right down to you and to me, to each one of us as individuals. At your very best, it's never enough for you to cope with the difficulties that you're going to face in life. And let me tell you something. Just about the time that you think you've really got your act together, boy, I've got this conquered. I, you know, I've overcome this and I've overcome that and it's, it's going to be all right now. Boy, I, yeah, I, I, I finally learned and, and, uh, I, I can get the victory and you know what's going to happen? Probably in, within 24 hours, but a day or two, something's going to happen to upset your apple cart. And by that, I mean all of a sudden, you're going to come face to face with the fact, oh no, I, I did it again. I failed again. And that's why that each one of us as individuals has to realize that we need to live daily dependent upon the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's exactly what Paul meant when he said, be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit having control of our lives. And whenever He has the control of our lives, what does He do? He produces the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Do you know we have some people that are not here today? You know why? Because they don't think some of you love them. You know why they think that? Because you've acted like you don't. Now, I'm not excusing them. They're wrong. They ought to be strong enough and big enough to ignore your nonsense and to keep coming. But I'm telling you, they're not here simply because of the fact you've acted like you don't love them. You don't care. Fine. We won't go back. That, listen, that's not the only problem. There are those times of despair when you are grieving over the loss of a loved one. Or there might be some other situation. You know, there's some things hurt worse than death. There are people dealing with domestic difficulties that... Why I, just, I, I told Brother Tim this morning, Brother Tim Linton, I said, I wish I could tell you... You know, I know how you feel, but I, I, I don't. I still have my wife. He, he doesn't have his. I, I don't know how he feels. And I've also got to say, you know, for those that, you know, you've had a spouse, the, uh, whatever. Well, I, I, I can't imagine how you must feel because I have all of the things on earth that, that would hurt me and drag me down and kill me to think my wife run off with some other guy. I'd, uh, Wow, I don't know how I'd survive that. And I'm saying that, and I'm just kind of pointing out some different things. And if you think that you might never face any of these things, you're kidding yourself. Whenever the doctor walks in and says, look, you've got cancer in an advanced stage. I've done all I can do. There's no hope for you. You can call in hospice. You better hope and pray to God that you're living your life in a dependence upon the power of the Holy Spirit or you'll crawl up in a corner somewhere and suck your thumb and try yourself to sleep. You'll get in a pit of depression that is so deep and so dark that you can't get out of it by yourself. Don't Listen to me. Don't ever underestimate the power and the torment and the danger of depression. 
Oh, I'm just a little depressed. Well, you know, yeah, everybody gets a little depressed now and then, but I'm telling you, for some, it's a demon. And it's a horrible, terrible thing to deal with. And you can't deal with it on your own. You need God's help. And it's available. He said, be ye filled with the Spirit. Let's all stand. Father, thank you for making available to us the greatest power in all of the universe. The same Spirit that moved upon the face of the waters and was active in creation. The same Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead. The same Spirit that enabled that early church, although hated and despised and persecuted, He able, enabled them to flourish among all of that, all of that hatred. And to think about the fact that He literally lives within each and every one of us. May we depend upon You each and every moment of every day to meet the needs of our life, whatever they are, and that, Lord, that we'll each one be actively involved in the work that you've given us to do as individuals, that we would not, not do like those Jews of yesteryear and stop the work before it was done, but help us to put our hands to the plow and not look back and to do your will for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all